Hello and welcome to another episode of Rant About It by the BU chapter of Philosophy, Politics and Economic Society, a podcast where topics of discussion are decided based on the spin of a wheel. To stay updated on all our future events, follow our Insta handle, BUPPE Society, and like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Boston University PPE Society. So hey, I am Shrey. I am Zoe. I'm Roberto. I'm Denise. And I'm Roberto. Say hi to Roberto, everyone. He hasn't been attending any of our meetings before this. <laughs> but he is a dear co-founder. And we finally have him with us today. Welcome. Hi, everyone. <laughs> finally. Awesome. So today we will be talking about three topics. Healthcare and capitalism. Objective journalism. Possibility. Possibility of objective journalism. And graduation plans. It's graduation season, guys. <laughs> awesome. So let's start with the first topic, healthcare and capitalism. Does anyone feel strongly about this topic? Very much. <laughs> All of us. Do you want to start? No, you guys something? go ahead. <laughs> I will listen. Well, we could start by, say, by talking about how it's not working. <laughs> how healthcare, the healthcare system, especially here in the U.S., which some might say that it's uh, like the better approach to a healthcare system, but um, we can see how it's not working with uh, extremely high prices and just unfair treatment to uh, low-income people that can't afford or just go into huge amounts of debt to get treatment they need. What, what could be a in? solution to that? I, I think we need to find a balance because we can't we can't say that like the capitalistic approach to healthcare is not going to work ever but we should recognize that the healthcare system here right now should be qualified as a market failure so some type of intervention should be should happen to fix the problems we have what do you think is the problem with the healthcare system here yeah like who can give like a very general um description of the st- status quo of the health system, healthcare system in the U.S. Because since we have Glad like very you far asked. away <laughs> listeners, I would like to share some statistics. Uh, right now, U.S. spends about 3.5 trillion on healthcare, and by 2020, it's going to be spending 20% of its GDP on healthcare. However, this is not. Um, I think we shouldn't mark this as a problem because if it was efficiently spent, maybe it could be. Good, but I think the problem in the private healthcare system in the U.S. is that spending distribution of consumers on healthcare since the 1970s has been holding the same trend. The top one percent uh, spend 22 percent of all expenditure, and top five percent of America spend 49 percent of health expenditure. So half of all of the money that is going into healthcare in America. Only 5% of America is benefiting from that. That is extremely skewed and problematic. So is that a problem with the healthcare system or does it have to do with the income inequality in America? Well, they're interconnected, undeniably. Because if um, the private, the, the healthcare in America is seen as a private market, it's seen as if it's something you can enter. But everyone needs healthcare. It's not like... Um, some people can get it if they can. You know, it's not a deal like that. If it was a computer, 
everyone um, would you would have to go in to it into the market and buy it right healthcare you have to buy it here but everyone needs it we know that everyone needs it will need it in their one point in their lifetime it's not like it's a, a luxury it's a difference between treating healthcare as a commodity rather than a necessity right exactly exactly um what else yeah um what i meant when i said that we should find a, find a balance is i i totally agree that healthcare is a necessity it shouldn't be treated as a commodity and the thing is, it's a really complicated subject here because it's not a, just a failure of a system as a whole. It's a different, it's different markets that are failing: the insurance market, the pharmaceutical market. All of those things combined create this huge problem we have here. But I don't think that a publicly supplied healthcare system would be better in a way. I, what I'm saying is, making it publicly supplied is not going to fix all the problems because. <coughs> well, for example, markets are broad. yeah, for example, in uh, in Mexico, we have both uh, uh, like a publicly, it's called Seguro Popular, which is just publicly supplied uh, health services. And I mean, I could go for hours about <laughs> how wrong it is. And there are several horror stories about it, just negligence and corruption. And it's not working. People have to, for example, in, from my town, people have to travel just to get some basic uh, services because they're just not to apply there because they have little to no funding. I remember one time, like last time when we had the uh, discussion about uh, the future of uh, 2045. The state of the world. The state, the state of the world, world 2045. Someone, uh, one of the doctor students, um, he brought up one idea he was talking about like so in Canada there's health like um, the government provides health care but then it becomes a problem what if um, you live in a very far away village and then like if you do not want to like become part of the like city does the government has the responsibility have the responsibility to provide health care to all the way to where you where you love. I think that's kind of like similar to what yeah. you have said. Ideally, the government should be able to supply the necessary things to everyone and everywhere, but uh, it's complicated. Because then, for example, those secluded areas might be very poor too and the state doesn't accommodate much money in that area, but then all of the rich areas start to get all of the funding for healthcare, and that's problematic, you know? Mm -hmm. Another f uh, fun fact is that uh, policy analyst at BU's School of Public Health, Elsa Pearson, said um, analyzed that by 2012, um, costs costs related to billing uh, was close to 17 percent of all health expenditures in America, and of this 17 percent, um, 80 percent of the billing related costs were because of uh, the multi-payer system in America. So I think this is a huge inefficiency caused by the um, structure of the healthcare sector in America. And all of that money could be used for other research and development or providing other things. Um, but it's insisting on having this system, even though a lot of problems like asymmetric information and, um, occurs yeah. because of this. Have you, have you guys heard of Valiant Pharmaceutical? this huge case that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, so here came this CEO 
and the way he approached the, the structure of the company, he reduced R&D to almost zero. And what they started doing, they started buying already approved FDA med medica medic uh, medicines. Mm -hmm. And then the <laughs> company created, I'm not 100% sure how this process happened, but they created kind of a fake pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And for the medicines they bought, they saw which ones were cov totally covered by uh, most insurance companies and they just jacked up the price. So people didn't really notice immediately that the prices were huge for like really basic medicines. But then the insurance pools started to get uh, riskier and riskier, the prices were getting higher. And this company was getting huge, but they were pretty much uh, increasing pri prices of really basic medicines just to make money. It was a huge case because some people started wanting to short this company because they noticed what they were doing. Right now, the, the, the company changed their name. It's almost bankrupt because of what they did. But I think that shows kind of how complicated and how messy the whole pharmaceutical and insuring, insurance markets here can be because they have these loopholes that people can take advantage of. And the people affected are the, the normal people that are just trying to buy insurance and get medicine that they need. Where was this company located? What, which country? Here, in the U.S. In the U.S.? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that's just very capitalistic of them to want to earn more profits? Yeah, totally. So um, why, would the, why would anyone, why would Americans find whatever the company was doing wrong? Because this whole company is built on capitalism. I'm, I mean, the approach of increasing the price is just well it's not it's was it illegal i don't the thing it w the thing w that was illegal was the kind of this phantom pharmacy they created in order to request the the it was a whole process i'm not really sure what happened they did something illegal but the increasing the prices specifically wasn't illegal i think but it's just i mean we could agree it's morally wrong <laughs> but we just we would just get into a whole debate about morality Going back to uh, Denise's example, um, did the study, the BU study, specify what the building costs actually mean? Like the 80% that you were talking about? And while you look for that, Sherry, what do you think about this? Do you think it was right for the company to um, increase the prices, even though they were built within the capitalistic system? Um, I don't know if it was right for the company to do that or not. I definitely would need more information on how the whole thing happened, like what the whole situation was before forming an opinion about it. Healthcare administration includes all um, activities related to coordinating health and medical services, such as scheduling, billing, and claims processing, um, is how she defined it. And she talks about how administration costs is hard to um, calculate, but this in the, the throughout the paper, she's trying to calculate it. And she talks about billing and insurance-related costs, BIR. That's the one she specifically talks about. And, like, choosing plans. And there's another study I was looking at, mm -hmm. and that one talks about... Um, that was one was talking about how physicians and nurses spend so many hours per week. Um, so, actually, primary care physicians spend about 3.5 hours a week. 
um, and nurses 12, I think, on just um, interactions with health plans. So just seeing if this person's health plan matches these requirements or which uh, procedures they're going to actually build them for or not. Just on billing, they spend like three hours a week of doctor, you know. But is that like a necessary process or? Because in America, they need to choose who's using what plan. If it was a single plan, everyone just choose one thing. Like some pe- some doctors choose to work with a single insurance company mm-hmm. just so they wouldn't have won't have to bother with this. The thing is, that's when things like uh, what I mentioned happen when you have a huge insurance pool that is uh, extremely risky. Well, how you mentioned asymmetric information. It's just really complicated to gather it, uh, gather everyone in a. It's very category. simple logic. If everyone was in the same pool, mm-hmm. it would be the um, cheapest and like l- minimal risk. If everyone was under the same one, wouldn't it normalize? Um, Isn't that I the I idea I've of universal coverage? Yeah, this but this makes it more costly and like because of risk aversion, some company, some insurance companies neglect um, reject giving certain care. Because it's costlier for yeah. them. Yeah. Which is problematic. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. But uh, that's what I'm saying. That, that's what I uh, I meant by saying that we need some kind of intervention to kind of balance things out. But if you just accept everyone with any level of risk, then you, you, have you can't. Uh, well, you, you couldn't like efficiently uh, supply what everyone needs because. Some people have pre-existing conditions. Some people are more prone to get certain diseases, which the treatment could be really costly. There's a lot of inefficiencies in um, giving care to chronically ill patients, for example. They still have to go to the ER and they wait Mm -hmm. there. Like every other week, they have to go to the ER and wait and get something and just go home for a little thing. And so chronic illness, you Mm -hmm. know, this is also um, very problematic here because of the system. And I'm talking about these kind of like inefficient costs that are being caused, but there's also the issue that America is making money out of these long um, processes and billing and etc. Just the bureaucracy makes money, you know, which is the problem, which is why they won't change it, which is why they won't make it more efficient. It is in their interest to be inefficient and costlier for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. So would you suggest just making the whole system a state-wide system, nationalizing it? Would that be a possible solution? I think we should have universal health care globally. <laughs> Come on. Education, yeah, that's, that's education <laughs> and health care should not be of, like, a deathly concern, you know? some Here especially, an accident happens, and you don't want to call an ambulance mm. because it's so expensive. That's messed up. Yeah. You literally, that's the first thing you have to think about. Am I going to be able to pay for it surviving? What do you think, Shrey? Should it be universal covered or <laughs> should it be privatized? Should healthcare be universal or privatized? Whatever makes it more efficient, man. More efficient. What do you, how do you define efficiency? Whatever reduces all unnecessary costs. It's about costs. Yeah. By efficiency, I mean removing unnecessary costs. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, I totally agree that it should be universal. But uh, from my experience <coughs> and the things I've seen, 
in uh, I could tell you one of the horror stories I was talking about it from Mexico for example there was this uh, ex-governor in a state called Veracruz um, he, he, his name is uh, Javier Duarte he's a horrible person he stole he for the whole of his time he was in office uh, he stole millions of dollars which is billions of Mexican pesos at the end of his term when he was in trial people found out that uh, some kids in some hospitals from Veracruz, instead of getting chemotherapy, they got distilled water. What? Yeah. So that happened under his uh, his command. Uh, yeah, <coughs> he just didn't do anything about it. It just I, I I am not completely sure he was directly involved, but the person overseeing that process was from his cabinet. So he must have known something about it and <laughs> nobody said anything they just found out later after a study was made so that's what happens when you let one person kind of oversee everything corruption happens just greed in general <coughs> which can lead to these horrible things that happen so yeah I'm not really sure about how we could take greed out of the equation even if it's private or a state thing if we have universal, we need to have universal transparency too. Exactly, yeah. Because in Turkey too, we have universal healthcare and there are these family doctors, every family is assigned to that you can go to. But the database of the family uh, doctor, any like <coughs> people in the government can access it. So even if you have a sickness or something, uh, especially for example, abortion is illegal in Turkey. If you want to talk to your doctor about that, people in the government can literally just have access to it and see it. And because it's um, culturally unacceptable, you know, it can be very bad for you. Yeah, in order, just in order to get a... If universal health care, then who has all of the information, <coughs> you know? Yeah, we'd have to fix uh, all institutions involved in order to get <laughs> universal health care, which is kind of quite a task. We to achieve <laughs> perfect cybersecurity, transparency, yeah. anonymity, universal healthcare, and education for all. Save the day. <laughs> <laughs> so That's the solution. Uh, well, uh, this makes me think of the international law topic that we talked about in our last to last podcast. I think where we concluded that it's it doesn't happen because countries don't normally look at that law as binding. So when you talk about universal health care, do you think we would encounter that same problem where we would have, first of all, we would have to have an international body that would overlook this whole system? And then countries, would countries be even willing to follow the rules? We have the UN, like countries don't normally follow everything that the UN says. So how, how would we, even if we have that system in place, how would we ensure that the com the countries are held accountable and like they would actually follow these things unless providing <laughs> healthcare for all is a universal value we cannot have this and it's not we don't have any universal values right now so i want to talk about the healthcare system in india so in <laughs> 2018 Narendra Modi, who is the prime minister. Um, so in India, the prime minister has more power than the president. 
So the prime minister released this new healthcare program called Modi Care. So this whatever healthcare program you release for India would be the biggest healthcare pro- program in the world because like India just has it's the second largest population but like it's fast increasing and it's about to overtake China very soon. Mm-hmm. So this new healthcare program is supposedly would provide um free healthcare to 500 million poor people. Um so a few weeks ago I got an interview with this person who is with this MIT professor who is working on this project to increase the norm or or rather to make it the norm that they do people do institutions do proper research before they before they release or implement any kind of healthcare program and what he said to me was modi did not he did not do proper research before before releasing such a big program and i just think it's a big it should be a norm i i just assumed that it already was but i think it's not and it should be that there should be research done to see what what kind of healthcare is actually needed before before implementing such a big a massive program like this modi care yeah one of the biggest problems with all of the inefficiencies we are talking about is the allocation of resources so how did he what was his base like what was he trying to provide that wasn't provided before he was basically just provide he was trying to provide healthcare free healthcare to the poor people that was that is the basic gist of it he wanted to give healthcare free healthcare to people who cannot afford it right now did he build new um clinics or something he did not build new clinics it was based out of the existing clinics the thing is in india there are a lot of clinics the utilization rate is very low oh. and that also happens because of low trust in the doctors there's this thing called bengal doctors which is basically a lot of people this started like a while ago where people were from bengal the bengal region which is um in east india like southeast they would act as doctors but they didn't have real degrees and they would like go to villages and like treat people because they would earn a lot out of that but they did not have real degrees so this term bengal doctors got really famous and now it's used for people who don't have actual degrees but they go to villages and still act as if they're doctors and treat people so that is one reason i don't know what the other treating them? what's that are they effectively treating them so i don't have the data to talk about that but um i'm assuming that they're not Because and that ad- adds to the to them to the mistrust of people in this whole system and um i don't know what are the other factors that really add to the system but like in india the trust rate for in systems is very low i don't know if you can really improve that with just releasing a more expensive healthcare even though if people are getting it for free that's a problem in africa too and that was a problem in problem in america too before american hospitals um like started becoming trusted the hospitals or were uh, were seen as deathbeds so if someone was sick or someone had a um infection they would 
be put in a hospital basically mm-hmm. until they die like it was just so that these sick people would be secluded from society the fact that hospitals now treat people and you get out of a hospital and you don't come back to the hospital um, the retention rate being low is very new actually not retention what is that called you get in the hospital you get treated and going back into the hospital so most people like who used to get treated would go back to the hospital now people don't go back to the hospital the so, rate that, so that the, the that rate has been falling down yeah the exact return rate return rate yeah the return rate to the hospitals have been um, going down or for example people being treated and going out has gone up so the trust in hospitals is a historical phenomenon that's slowly building i think and i think you can change it you just have to prove to people that people who go to this hospital actually do get better but when those schemes are happening obviously that's a very hard cultural block to get around well to wrap it up we could say that to just to mention what roberto said before leaving the problem is that uh it seems that the main objective of healthcare providers and services should be before any cutting of costs before any efficiency in different areas we should uh try to just make people healthier try to make everyone get what they need uh, some people might say that they're still trying to get there but this uh, failures of people uh, increasing prices or just not caring enough about the unprivileged areas makes it harder to mm-hmm. kind of agree with that approach. Uh, another point that like, s- stuck with me, what Roberto said was how we perceive um, efficiency as, and he said it's all, it's all relative. Um, so he was talking about how if you're sitting at this level of income, you might look at efficiency as just wasteful um, costs. But if you're at the very bottom of it, you might look at efficiency as just the treatment, the the quality of the treatment that you're getting. And I think that was a great point to make because that's just not something that I would have thought of myself. Yeah. You normally don't think of what, uh, I guess you you try to think of um, what the people that are actually receiving these treatments what they go through you're just thinking that okay the costs are bad but obviously the quality plays a big role here as well the quality of treatment that is yeah we'd hope that the ideal outcome of competition would be that everyone gets what they need mm-hmm. but we're just <laughs> not seeing that <laughs> in an ideal world yeah so in another ideal world <laughs> would be our next topic Obje- objective <laughs> The possibility <laughs> of <laughs> I was <laughs> the possibility of objective journalism. Smooth segue to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we're getting so much better. Yeah. So this, um, so this topic really is something I really kind of wonders a lot, um, oftentimes because uh, I'm not only an econ major student, I'm also doing journalism, and also because I'm not from the society, like so I. I kind of witnessed two kinds of the mold of doing journalism. And also because journalism is such a thing that stands very close to political regimes. Once you have, and also these social status each society have. So it just kind of wonder, make me wonder like, although 
we look up to the U.S. mode of doing journalism a lot, but like I can see that there are like ways that like is not it tries its best to be <laughs> objective, but at the same time there there's like a way. At the same time, they have their own standpoint as well because like the way to say oh we are trying to look as objective as we can we are the watchdog for democracy then from this point of view you already like kind of state your point is that you are watching for democracy what if somebody else is not like that is a very dangerous point to make in this society what is what if somebody else have their own opinion they are not like saying like democracy is that the best way to do like politics and then when you say to be a watchdog for democracy this kind of mold of journalism does not already have its own standpoint in that kind of regimes and i remember talking about this to dennis at one point would you like to share your view dennis? yes i just off of what you were saying i think that the way people define democracy is also important. For example, in this country, democracy is very important and everyone talks about democracy all the time, yet voting rates are at 40%. And I don't understand how you can have democracy when not everyone is uh, getting an education, not everyone is voting. I do not accept that as democracy, as a political theorist, now officially a political philosopher. Uh, <laughs> So when you talk about being a watchdog of democracy, I don't know what they're talking about. It's just the watchdog of the majority in my mind. Um, <laughs> before you make your point, <laughs> I just want to say that in these podcasts, it may seem like we're calling out America. We're really not. It just in just, my country, it's the same. It just I mean, we're talking about how it is in this country, and we also talk about how it is in other countries. For example, mm. in Turkey, we have seventy percent vote voting. 70-80% voting rates. <laughs> I can't. But the votes don't matter. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's home. So I think, again, in journalism here, I don't see objective journalism much. I've, I've, I think that everyone has, definitely you can tell if they're right-winged or left-winged. Also, the binary political system of America. Again, how is that democratic? But... Um, again, I think the binary system puts a burden on journalism to be unbiased too. So by objective, you mean that people should be unbiased? That's what you were asking? Yeah, so like basically I should like stress upon the principles of journalism tries to suck to is they try like doing journalism is saying like you try to be impartial. Okay. But at the same time, basing on our observation is very, like most of the articles or most of the reportings are not impartial mm -hmm. because impartial, because that's what Dennis said is like, they are either left way or they are either right way. So you ha all have something like a standpoint in your, um, in your reporting. So, yeah. So, I mean, wouldn't you think that it's, better that journalism accommodates these different sides of the political spectrum, let's say? The fear in that is that then people will only read a single perspective 
and think that that is what's happening in the world. Yeah, I think if there are yeah, multiple definitely. if there are multiple perspectives, and if you're reading like ten different newspapers a day, amazing, you know, mm -hmm. then you actually understand what's happening, because we should be able to have the ability to read out different resources filter out what they're saying and try to create our own meaning and understanding of what's happening around. Objective journalism would be the people who already, um, who, who doesn't do this filter out process, but is um, trying to mirror to us what is happening. But then again, we're all human. Can we really be unbiased? Yeah, yeah. just think with objective journalism, can it even really exist? It's just our human nature to have opinions about certain things and if you're writing about something and you have an opinion about it, obviously you're going to say something about that. Is that even a possibility to be to have to be a journalist and still have an objective view of certain things? I would give an example for like how journalism try to be impartial. Like for example, every journalist, usually each reporter, they will have their own Twitter account. But like I remember one of my professors, he told us that like if you are going to be like a brilliant journalist, then you your Twitter account should not say anything really political. Like saying like should not be really uh like, oh I I I vouch for this candidate or I believe something, something, something. Because once you kind of like voice have your voice out, like have a very strong voice about something that you are not impartial anymore. But then at the same time, I feel it's kind of like a paradox because you try to like be so unbiased. At the same time, you are still like, I see this a lot in like, in when US try to rep doing reporting for other countries, like especially in China, they become like very judgmental in their own way. I mean, like I feel journalists are always judgmental in their own way, but it's when a <laughs> when it comes to other countries, especially not in the same political regime, you can see they have like a lean, um, there, there's like a way they lean in towards, oh, it's not really trying to understand them. It's like trying, but, trying to from like a own from like a their own way like from a, like a it's kind of like a gate to peek into the room so they are only seeing like that part of the room from that gate and also I it's like when you write pieces like one thing we need to figure out for each article is to try to find the angle so it's like, I feel like when I just enter this field, I was thinking, oh, I should be like a kind of those, you know, those glass, you can just reflect the sunlight, but you are like transparent, you just kind of magnifies everything. But then I found out you are actually just like a kind of storyteller. You make points, you write articles to strengthen your points and you justify your own angle you are actually writing these articles s seemingly is um, impartial, unbiased, but you have your own standpoint. You are also like trying to tell a story as well. Because even if, as a storyteller, the details you point <coughs> out show your perspective. Yes. yes. I also have a few 
quotes on neutrality. I would oh, like to share. I, I do too. I, it's not it's not on net neutrality if that's where you were going, but it's this quote on. Um, Just say it. This it's this quote by Dante. Yeah, I have. Did, did you have this? <laughs> I like I pull it up right here. The hottest. So, yeah, place. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Please read it out. Uh, so the code. So this quote is from Dante's Inferno, and it goes, "The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in time of moral crisis, preserve their neutrality." And Zoe, when you were talking about the Twitter account, this quote really came to my mind because if there is something that you really, really believe in, if there is something that goes against your morals. I I would say that it's your right, it's your responsibility to back that up and support that and not be neutral. Okay. Yeah, this is just like a very long <laughs> question that needs to be thinking about. Needs, I need to think about. I have another quote, actually, and it's by Desmond Tutu. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. That's so, so that this brings us to the question, is it the journalist's duty to identify injustice in the society and make, the, make its people aware of it? Okay, what, what is... In the most basic terms, what is the job of a journalist? What does a journalist do? I feel like it really depends on like each person, the understanding. Although like, I, I believe probably we have like the official explanation for that. But I feel journalism itself is to provide information. Mm-hmm. So it like itself is actually an information system. Like it inform people. So like itself, it should not be like inform. Sorry. Yeah, like it, itself, it might not have any like lean ways because you just kind of give information to people. Information about what is happening or information about the dangers of what can happen? They're both informations. I believe that journalists would They're, be providing but both then, of these kinds of information. But then if you talk about dangers, you have to add bias. If you talk about what's happening, the details you add into it will also give you bias. I mean, you can talk about the dangers of um, putting your hand in fire. Obviously, I wouldn't. There wouldn't be a bias in that. I would just be talking about how putting your hand in fire would be bad for you. But you know that fire is bad right now. Can we say this is good and this is bad? The moment you say that, you're leaning one way. Um, I think in uh, political situations, you can't be sure what is good or bad because then that's the moment you have. Also, just saying good and bad is problematic in itself but that's it's another not all topic wide, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah i um i think it depends on the type of publication obviously some people can just report facts and report uh, numbers and that's it they don't have to specifically lean one way but and uh, the problem with not being objective or not being unbiased i think comes when you're like you said you report something and then by because of your bias for example when you're talking about a political candidate you may mention some bad things about their past instead of just talking about how good they are that shows you're biased and i think that that's uh kind of the malicious side of it where uh journalists they don't have to but they should try to for the better of society try to talk 
um, try to see it both ways, not just uh, lean one way in order to push their their uh, bias. But I, I don't think like a having completely unbiased publications in every area of society is, would be helpful necessarily because we still need to see opinions and we still need to see different approaches to things in order to form our own opinion or, or be critical about about what's happening. So yeah, I think accommodating different opinions is a good thing <laughs> in journalism. But what, what we're seeing right now is that people don't take the time to see how some publication may be biased and they just get into their own bubble and just reject every other idea, which it's harmful. I feel this is a really interesting dimension answering the question. It's like asking, so we are talking about possibility of objective journalism, and then we ask, is the objective journalism is actually helpful for the society? Because like, like if there are no objective journalism right now in each society, then it means, like, because, like, is existence justifies its being? Is there, like, a sentence like that? <laughs> and so, so, like, if it's like this right now, then it works better in the way it helps the society. So I feel this is a really interesting dimension to answer the question. Wait, if it exists this way, maybe it should be this way? Is that what you said? It... it at least there's a reason it justify itself why it, it is this way right now. I mean, I think we should acknowledge that even the fact that we can have this conversation about how we have too much, too many journalists talking about their opinions or de- and their ideas because some, some places, some countries can't even do that. They can't freely talk about their opinions without being persecuted or being just banned or even threatened. So yeah, I think we should acknowledge that questioning if people giving their own opinions on what's happening is uh, is kind of a privilege. <laughs> are you gonna, are you gonna <laughs> add something? <laughs> I wanted to quote this because I was, okay, I was reading this book. So Dennis took out a book, and <laughs> she's going to quote something. Let's see what she has prepared for us. That's the way it is, because that's the way it is. Was that the way it was? It always was? It always will be. And if it wasn't, but I'm telling you it is. So then. <laughs> so this is Clarice Lispector. And when you said maybe it was, it justifies that. <laughs> okay, first of all, what what did that mean? Yeah, that, that, that just confused <laughs> me more. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It makes so much sense in my mind. I don't know how to explain. So you were saying about maybe just because the way it, ha- it is right now justifies that there's a reason for it to be some way. If we think about everything in life with this perspective, oh, it's, it is just the way it is right now because it always has been. That always, or not always, you didn't even say always, she says always, but uh, that that being the way it is right now should not justify the way it should be. Okay. Is my point. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> to end her makes point and everything. Yeah, that's why you mentioned that uh, even acknowledging that this privilege we have here about uh, f- just free press is, uh, is worth mentioning because 
some people can't have this type of discussion. Going back to freedom of speech, as we always yeah. do. <laughs> the thing about like is not saying like they are biased because they have opinions. Is that like you know, although it only give the they give informations like facts and what other people say. These are all facts, but the thing is that there are so many facts you cannot all present them in your article.、Mm-hmm. So, like when you find an angle, you only choose the one that kind of suits your angle, and then it become kind of like yeah, choosing what you publish exactly is a, is a bias. Choosing、yeah. your angle is the、yeah. moment you have the bias, and you can't neglect that. I feel, or for example, I feel the tendency that you want to look at everything there is. Half of it put this perspective. Half of it put this perspective. So now you have this all-encompassing article. Is that the dream?、Um, Is that like the objective of journalists? No, I think when we talk about this, <laughs> I was thinking about something else, something more like a ideal mold for journalism in an ideal society, which we never have right now. <laughs> That's the thing. I I, d- I don't、uh, think journalists should have an ideal mold. It's the whole thing about freedom of press. There shouldn't be a mold for them. It's they should have the freedom to say what they want. But then, obviously, the biases are gonna creep in. So we want objective journalism. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say it's it's our responsibility to expose ourselves to different sides、yeah. of every. Issue, and I think I think it's a good thing now that、uh, sources are shamelessly、uh, exposing their their bias, because y- now you can clearly point out when people are being biased or not, and、uh, and that tells you something about the topic. For example, if you see an opinion in, in Fox News or if you see an opinion in CNN, if you read something in the New York Times, it's going to be different. In each, maybe the same issue is going to be different in each publication, but you can see which way they're leaning. Okay, I'm going to wrap up this topic by concluding what we have right now. So, like, basing on my observation, I think the conclusion we achieve right now is that, like, to achieve objective journalism is actually what a reader should do. You should like read as many. Perspective. I like news. that. I like that a lot. And then coming back to education, to my heart. So is actually is something a reader should do. And then the journalist justifies、uh, their way, justify their way of doing their angle on different stories because of the freedom of speech. And then so as long as everyone chooses their angle freely, so at the end of the day, a reader is a Is able to make a very objective pi- picture because they are seeing all the perspectives they can see. I was gonna. F- what if the journalists are not giving, being honest about what they're exposing, or what if they're trying to、uh, manipulate you in their writing? We should call them out when we see that. I think that's what people are doing right now, and that's why you said the shamelessness is yeah, great. Yeah, it's good because then you can't 
you have no uh, justification with this like kind of malicious intent of exposing just a side without nobody knowing, trying to manipulate the reader. I think it's a good thing that we can call them out and just... But when we call them out, are they really destroyed? I mean, it's not that they're going to stop doing it, but at least you can now see what they're doing. <laughs> and now, Sh Shrey's favorite topic. <laughs> hey, Shrey. Well, it's certainly a topic that I have some things to say about. Don't know if it's my favorite topic. The he's been wanting to rant about this for a while, so let's go. I mean, aren't you waiting to rant about it? I feel like everyone, all all students who are graduating right now, have been waiting to rant about this. I still can't believe it. Our, so this our fellow alumni here are going <laughs> to rant this, about. <laughs> this year we have two graduating members of PP Society, Dennis and Shrey. And they are going to rant about their postgraduate plans. So I'm going to rant about the fact that I don't have a post-graduation plan. Exactly. We <laughs> 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 were telling them, like, it's a lie that you have a job set up by graduation. I really thought I would. I really thought I would, too. I had this are you, whole plan. Are you plan. saying that's not going to happen? That's... <laughs> It might happen. It might not happen. Give Here's it your best, but <laughs> no, give it your best. Job. But it still might not happen. Just no don't job be discouraged with yeah. my diploma. <laughs> don't, don't be discouraged. Is the way to go about it. You can plan out these things, but you never know what's going to happen. And you I just am, need to be okay with it. I am rejection immune now. <laughs> That's a skill I gained this semester. <laughs> I got a lot better at talking on the phone because I just had so I many phone interviews. So. And I hate phone interviews, but now I think I'm okay. I'm fine with them. Now okay. I can free, openly, freely talk on the phone. <laughs> That's <laughs> one skill that I gained from this. I also think that Experience. career or like career building and job search should be a required four credit course at like senior year at some point. Honestly, like it, it's like it's like an eight course credit. Like I can't believe some people it were doing five classes and job and looking for a job. I couldn't do it. It part. definitely is a lot of work, but I don't think it should be a class because first of all, you would have to pay them to like help you do that, which I don't think you should do it should come from within like it should be it's your responsibility to find out what you're going to do after college and no one else should tell you what you're going to do you have to do it yourself is that why the um but we already are paying for the career development center yeah that's what i want to say B basically we, yeah, we do have <laughs> we do have this resource already I would like to have a little shout out to Doug from CDC. He's actually great. If you guys want to go to someone, go to him. Like, okay. I've tried a few people and Doug <laughs> is great. <laughs> I'll just say that, <laughs> surprisingly. Do you have any recommendations that you have yeah, like found? Oh yeah, looking back. Looking back, okay, I was thinking about this. Looking In back. college? Just, just college oof, and finish, like big finishing question. up. Maybe. Let's first start with still with postgraduate plans about like finding jobs, searching for jobs. Yeah, I don't know about those. I can give you a retrospective <laughs> look back. Like if I was a freshman, this would this is what I would tell myself. Start 
cognitive behavioral therapy and physical therapy immediately. I think everyone in college needs both of them. Honestly, we're all of our postures are fucked up and all of our minds are fucked up. Okay, I was like, how, what do you mean by physical therapy? But okay, yeah. makes sense. Um, no, seriously, my whole posture changed after physical therapy. And BU's physical therapy is incredible. Shout out to them too. They were actually joking. I love it. I love them so much. Seriously, I was having like headaches for three days because of my neck and I don't anymore. How can we find them? You go to SHS, <laughs> and then they give you a um, recommendation. Yeah, 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 I got that too. Referral. <laughs> um, another one is um, choose five things you would want to do uh, in the morning, like a morning routine, and try to do at least one of them every day. Like, don't pick yourself up if you can't do a whole morning routine, but choose one thing you want to do, and like, or like every day you can choose one of the five, or if you can do all five of them. Setting a morning and night routine solved my insomnia, basically, and so many anxiety problems. So uh, that's a recommendation. And another one would be learn time management skills, because that's the only thing you need in college. Seriously, uh, you don't need to do anything else but learn how to time manage. Those are the ones I've been thinking about. I'm going to write a list of them, but as I was walking to school, <laughs> I was thinking about these. Do you feel comfortable sharing some of your morning routines? The yeah. The morning routine you stick with. I have a whole list. <laughs> uh, I drink <laughs> warm water with lemon and vinegar, actually, in the mornings. That's, although it sounds terrible, and I don't like vinegar. Isn't it supposed to, to be good for your digestion to yeah, have warm water up, with Yeah, it cleans up. Exactly. You lemon. shouldn't have cold water in the morning because it's been sleeping for so many hours. So to war wake it up, it's the best, like, first thing you have in your body because it will clean out, like, the fill your whole digestive system. And cold water doesn't? Cold water is a shock because your body has been, like, on sleep mode for so many hours. When you drink cold water the muscles like reaction is not as well but when it's warm it wakes it up <laughs> is there a scientific yeah there is explanation <laughs> yes there this? is <laughs> <laughs> mm, your internal temperature is you know okay so like I, you're I don't not, know bro I'm, you're not, not, you're <laughs> I've definitely seen that recommendation in <laughs> different thank places thank you thank you it's just a scientific thing I'm yeah. not making it up okay <laughs> uh, and then uh, yoga morning yoga seriously like extremely helpful even five minutes of stretching in the morning changes my whole mood for the day sometimes i'll wake up in a terrible mood and i'll force myself to stretch and like my whole mood will change and then meditation i'm not that good at putting this in my mornings but meditation is incredible guys even three minutes of it too again and then i like coffee journal read a little bit and then i have breakfast this is my little morning routine that I like, and everyone has different ones. Some people read in the morning, some people read at night or write, vice versa. Uh, I think that's very valuable. I also, had, like I said, like it, it helps with insomnia a lot, and everyone's talking about insomnia around me now, and I had terrible insomnia. Like I couldn't sleep and I couldn't wake up, and now I will sleep like in 10 minutes I put my bed, and I will wake up with a single alarm years of work but you need to know how many hours of sleep you need like your rem schedule mine is like one hour and 35 minutes for example it's like 130 or something and i'll wake i'll i know i'm good with six hours and 40 minutes of sleep or like seven hours and 10 minutes of sleep you need to know these like little um perfect times for your own, own body 
and this took me a year to really understand. And then um, trying to stick to the same bedtime and waking up at the same time for a week or a few weeks until you get it on routine, like really forcing yourself helps a lot. Or having a night routine where I like turn the lights off, put candles on and music and turn off all electronics and I'll sit down, just listen to music or write for half an hour. And like that will be my body's cue to saying, okay, you know, we're going to sleep. No funny business. <laughs> don't don't be thinking about too many things. <laughs> you know, chill. Those are my life lessons I've learned. What you got? <laughs> I think it's definitely important to have habits. I definitely agree with Dennis when she talks about having morning routine or night routine I'm just going to talk about having a routine for your entire day and it might not be for everyone it's how I keep my sanity here in college <laughs> just to have a planned day is amazing you like wake up and you have mm -hmm. you have this whole day planned out it just makes the whole day go really well because like you know you have this time to do this thing and then after that you move on to the next thing and you just do that and move that might you, you, you move on. on and like it might sound boring or like it might sound like it's not something that everyone can do but I think it really helps because once you get into a habit of doing things it just becomes a lot easier college is a piece of cake if you really just get into the habit of doing things um, <laughs> if you just let yourself <laughs> die into the routine, it's not obviously I'm kidding, like I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously you you should also take out some days where you don't have a when routine. When you when you plan it in, you put you you need to put in um, plan in chill times. <laughs> How do I put that? You know, I'll yeah. be like, okay, during this hour, plan, I'll like go to the activities. Beach. <laughs> yeah. I'll get a coffee. Yeah, I'll yeah. So this. by a routine, I mean I have all of that planned in. So I also, when I wake up, I. So first of all, I like I need music when I'm. Yeah. When <laughs> I'm, showering, getting ready, making breakfast, eating. So that the whole, point from after I wake up until I'm ready to leave, I'm listening to music, and your your mood for the entire day really depends on the kind of music you listen to, and a lot of times. I listen to classical music and like that might sound lame but like that just really makes my day go really well yeah, it, it, like it calms me down you just like really zen you know <laughs> and um, it's it's important to have these little habits because they just really help you have it's, a better day it's about self-care too it's you totally show yourself that you show your body your mind that you know you're gonna set a time for them to take care of them that your work is not everything. That yeah. Your health is your priority. And um, it's definitely important to read the news, but I don't get a lot of time. So what I do is when I'm commuting, I listen to podcasts, daily podcasts that give me the news that I need for the day. And they're like 30 to like 45 minutes. So, and I'm always like early for my classes, like at least 10 minutes early. And it takes me... 30 minutes to get to my class from my home so it's like the perfect amount of time for me to listen to these podcasts so if you don't have any time in your daily schedule to listen to news or read news I would just listen to podcasts on the way wherever you go even if you stop 
once you reach your class and then like you have some more time after your class you can just continue listening to it again after that it doesn't have to be in one sitting that you listen to the whole podcast and the most important thing you can do in college is just be surrounded by people that you really care about yeah it and just makes care about you. and that uh, and people who care about you that just makes a really really big difference because if you're having a bad day if you're just sad about something it's important to surround yourself with these people even if you don't want to talk about that talk to them about these things it's just them being there for you just takes your mind off of these sad depressing things and you can just relax your mind focus on the bright side of things also yeah, surrounding yourself with positive uh, thoughts and <laughs> reinforcement these true connections just having a few people you trust i think is very important in college and i think also another part of maturity i'd say is learning how to reach out when you need it because you no one can do anything alone mm. for me one of the biggest things i learned throughout college was I, I I cannot do everything by myself. Yeah, yeah. Like I really need to, to understand that. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to college, like do it all myself, and like uh, I'm independent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, like if I didn't have s- certain people around me helping me out, my family helping me out, there's no way you'd be able mm. to go through this. It's chaos. Yeah, where I am in life right now, I, I wouldn't have so many reached here unless. All these people, all these great people that I met on the way helped me. And even if they did it unknowingly, it just all all of their experiences, these interactions helped me reach where I am right now. It's definitely important to reach be out. open to. Yeah. Just yeah, take time to make those connections. Definitely take time to make those connections. But don't be looking for those connections yeah. 24-7. Don't do it for... You need to be happy with yourself before you yes. can connect to other people, which is... Like, you need to go through that loneliness to be able to have those connections, maybe. But I think um, appreciating and believing in yourself is should be a priority. Another little thing is um, say out loud saying things you're grateful for. This really changed a lot for me. Um, if you want to change your mindset about life, like if you're always thinking about negative things and complaining and everything... Please, for a week, every morning, out loud, say three things you're grateful for today. You know, it's easy. And if that doesn't change your outlook on life, come find me. <laughs> we'll fix it. <laughs> I have two more things to add to that list, the whole list. I hope you've been writing and taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, be okay with being by yourself mm-hmm. as you go on from, as you move on from college even at college you might come across some moments where you're not surrounded by people when you're on your own and understand that it's okay if you're spending time by yourself it's 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 honestly important for you to be able to do that because once you get out of college even if you move to a new place even if you don't it's not always going to be easy to make friends as it was in college and you will go through a lot of moments where you won't have people to talk to even though you might have friends in different places, it's not always possible for people to talk to you. So you need to understand that it's okay for you to just be by yourself and just be okay with that. And this one thing that I do when I'm stressed or when I'm anxious, or if I have like a big interview coming up, I like talk to myself in the mirror. And I know a lot of people do that. Sounds crazy, but 
it works. It works like magic. If I you just so much to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think it's it's scientifically proven that when you talk to out loud to yourself, you significantly reduce your stress levels. You, when dealing with something you definitely Ooh. do it helps me yeah. so much <laughs> I've spoken it it hours. feels like it's you're talking to someone else and i don't know why but it really calms you down yeah, i don't know how it works but it does it's it actually does don't be shy from doing that because it might seem like you're crazy but it works I definitely always I don't do it in front of my yeah, roommate. Yeah, just make sure no one is watching. I don't do it in front of my roommate. I like I close my uh, bedroom door and like I do it in my room cuz I don't <laughs> want people to see me doing that. But it works. It's effective. It's effective. Um to finish up, do you have any pointers on the just enjoy man that that's my biggest pointer like life will happen i would be so annoyed when people said that to me you no i was going to say enjoy? i was going to say on the on the job searching process oh it's job searching it i Just learned so it. much about myself like doing that and do you have any recommendations on tools to use maybe absolutely know, for like example my friend actually handshake linkedin oh. stuff like that i mean <laughs> the biggest tool i would say is reach out to professors I have this one professor who is my mentor and he's been helping me get in touch with so many great organizations and I don't think I would have had that have had all these opportunities if I wasn't connected to him so don't be afraid of reaching out to your professors yes. in the end they they really want to just help you For example you people go to office hours to just look at homework no Go to office hours or make meetings with your professors just to talk about yeah, like, like anything. Yeah, but be friends with your professors. Yeah, be friends. Like you're not paying money for this college to go to those classes. There are so I many mean, you other. Are, but no, but that's just <laughs> such a small part of it. People you're don't recognize. Explicitly, but not. There are so many other resources out on. You know how you said it should be the person's own initiative to like reach out and look for the career things and job things. There are so many resources on campus that are just waiting for someone to reach out and what's going to put you like what's going to make you different um from everyone else is if you go reach out and um use those resources and going to teachers and talking to them outside about other things they're doing cuz they're teaching you intro classes for god's sake this is so simple for them that is not all the knowledge they have they know so much more go learn like the classroom they what they're teaching you is so restricted there but go and like take their brain for an hour you'd be amazed at how much more they will talk about then you're bored and then you think the class is boring then you think the professor is boring and yeah. i'm like your assumptions are terribly wrong <laughs> ask your professor out for a coffee yeah i've done that you learn so much about the professor you get a friend out of them mm. they will be willing to help you out and you just and ask them to be your mentor someone. yeah ask I haven't express I didn't ex explicitly ask my professor he just like was just really willing to get into that role but even if you do ask professors that no one would say no no one would ever say no I think that's one mistake I did for my perspective like I was friends with my teachers but for very little things or very short term like I'd never became no professor became a direct mentor with me and I wish looking back I would definitely have and there are, um, i have amazing professors that i wish were like continuously my mentor throughout college so freshman dennis if you were there <laughs> um, <laughs> go to those professors and just tell them that you really need a mentor and would appreciate if they can give 
you like an hour every other week, you know, you'll, you will take so much from that. Yeah, speaking of that, like about coffee and mentor, I just went to like for those of you who are like, like searching for your rouse, like I do right now, because I'm graduating next year. So like I went to the career center, and they one thing they tell me about, they told me about is doing networking. It's like I don't know how many of you who really know about doing networking, but、yeah, what they told me is that you need to have those like. Coffee interviews is simply like that. It, you are is not really like saying. So like for me, when I think about doing networking, is that oh you go to like a conference, then you just kind of talk to people setting up or something. But it's not like that. So you have like、um, name cards from them, and then maybe you send an email saying like, hey, I'm I'm Zoe. I'm studying econ and journalism. My potential. Um, passion is blah blah blah, and I would really love to like because we met in somewhere and your expertise in something. I would really love to maybe have a talk for you to give me some advice or something like that. And normally they would really love to talk to you, and、mm-hmm. that is like one way to have mentors, like <laughs> kind of to have those relationship. So yeah, so that's what I learned from. The career center to have coffee interviews, and also it kind of aligns with what we talk about having coffee and mentors. Let、Net、me、work. tell you, let me tell you from personal experience that actually works.、Mm-hmm. I've tried that with a lot of people. I've gotten coffee with a lot of professionals, and they never ever say no. If you're genuinely interested in learning more about what they do. They're not gonna know. People like talking about themselves. Why would yeah, anyone say no to talking like, about that? Yeah, they love professors. Like they're devoting. Not even life, just professors.、Yeah. Even if you go to a conference and you meet someone, you get that card. You can ask them for a coffee there. You can email them later. But no one will ever say no. Yeah. So like my concern before that is that like, is that kind of like, just, uh, I don't know, problematic or kind of time consuming for them. But then, like my so the advisor I went to that day, she was telling me she's kind of making a metaphor or comparison. She's like, so you're asking the menu for the recipe for making that fish. You're not asking them to cook you that fish. So that's like they're very ha- happy to help out. So yeah, like just that's a nice metaphor. Yeah, like go write an email to somebody and have coffee interviews. Like grab coffee with them, <laughs> talk about yourself. And if you don't like anything from that menu, just go to a different restaurant. Yes. <laughs> 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 nice. Well, I think that was a great note. <laughs> Thank you for sharing us.、Much. It has been real. Yes.、Yeah, Signing been... off. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop. I'm very. See you. Excited to listen to the rest of the podcast and hopefully I'll definitely. Big hopes from the new <laughs> eboard for next year. Big、yes. big hopes. Thank you. Shreya and Denise signing off. <laughs> bye bye. Take bye. care. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. Make sure to follow us on all our social media handles. Again, our Insta handle is BUPPE Society, and our Facebook page is called Boston University PPE Society. If you have any suggestions for future discussion topics, please send us an email at ppe@bu.edu, and we'll talk about your topic on our next episode. Make sure to tune in next time, and goodbye.